today on Compassion Radio. So, that's important to understand that Kiev and Kievan Rus existed long before Russia was ever created. Mm-hmm. And that's the historical fact. It was very important. Hello, welcome back to Compassion Radio, taking you to the front lines of faith. And we mean that literally sometimes. We're currently in a series with Oleg Dimitrenko, our man on the spot in Kiev, Ukraine, who's been helping us to get a handle on the state of affairs in Ukraine and the booming Christian church there. So how are they holding up? Well, you'll find out a lot more today. We'll pick it up right where we left off on yesterday's discussion. Thanks for joining us. That was the breaking point, humanly speaking. You had no more energy left, and yet you said yes. You stepped to the podium, you prayed God's words with passion, and you invited God's passion to backfill you and to fill you up with what everyone needed at that moment. And you spoke to tens and hundreds of thousands of people right from the Word of God. There can't be a better preaching opportunity than that, at the moment of crisis, to speak God's Word over a people. And you're still doing that. You talk about doing this now in different medias, being digitally sensitive, digitally uh, fluent, you are, in fact, influencing and talking to people that you have not met or might never see that are tens or hundreds or thousands of miles away from you because of the work you do with all these companies. You are an influencer. In much the way that we work in radio or television back in the United States, we never really know who all is listening to us at any given time. So take courage, my friend. I have to work in faith, too, that what I do is something that God's going to use for his purposes, even if I never see the results of it. But I do hope that God brings you many, many opportunities to meet people that have been deeply affected positively because of your witness. So what does the witness look like then? You work in a business where you are a business consultant and a communications expert. When you speak truth to people and remind people that truth is important— what does it look like for you as a Christian? Uh, it's really not about the words, it, and it almost doesn't matter what I speak. Mm. When I have a coffee break, for example, mm-hmm. I go to have a, have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a lady, you know, who saw me a few times, and she also is having coffee. And we talk about the weather and, and whatever. And suddenly, she started pouring her heart mm. about something deep in her heart. And she said, you know what? I have never told this to anyone. And I don't know why I am telling this to you, but I feel I have to say it. So what is it? Hmm. And here I'm standing with a cup of coffee. I'm having a coffee break. It's not outreach. It's not evangelism. You know, it's coffee time. That's the best possible witness that I can say. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we should really be too worried about our evangelism effort. As soon as we do what we have to do, and as soon as we are where we have to be, despite external circumstances, because they can be different, Mm -hmm. they could be even hard, you know. You may wonder, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know? yeah. So it really doesn't matter from the eternal point of view, right? But, mm. you know, the, uh, there will be some very natural conversations with people, coffee breaks. Also, attitude. Attitude mm. to other people at work. Uh, kindness, um, forgiveness, mercy. <laughs> Sometimes if people have mercy on me, I'm very thankful for this. <laughs> Good quality of work. Uh, most importantly... 
the greatest witness of Christianity at work is failures. Mm -hmm. Failures. As Christians, we fail. I think that's one of the strongest testimonies ever. Because I remember one accountant, bookkeeper, uh, that was a fail. I really, I blew it up. I just spoiled everything. I was so ashamed. I thought, you know, I am ruining the testimony of Jesus and, you know, shame on me and so on. Yeah. But she came to me so touched. I said, you know what? You're a normal guy. I thought you were, you know, you were super spiritual that I will never be like you, but you are normal. This is so great. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so impressed by, by my failure that she became open to the gospel. <laughs> it seems to me like she's really open to the truth, really, because you were actually honest and transparent. There's some power in that. A lot of power, actually. Yeah, so we never planned them. I would prefer seeking the power of the gospel, seeking God himself, and he will take care of the rest. It's mm. like this, uh, you know, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. You don't really know where he is coming from and where he's going. It's yeah. like the wind. It's not actually our business, you know, to catch the Holy Spirit, you know, to this, do these all kind of things. Uh, you don't know where the wind's going, but you know it's there. I mean, and, and you've experienced yeah. that, the wind of the Spirit coming and blowing through you. You've seen it happen. So you put yourself on the line. I do think there's some real lessons here to be learned about the idea of availability, we say in English. But it's not even just so much being available to do God's work or to be in His places He wants us to go. It has to do with us being genuine and honest and humble, that we're safe people. And I think your coffee time experience with that lady is like that. Oh, yeah. God knew you to be safe. You were a safe place to be. You would not be full of condemnation or a false religion. The world is full of a need to confess. We know that. There's burdens in us that we feel the weight of the burden of our sin. And just to get it out, to have someone else share that burden with us is a huge gift, but they don't even know it yet. I'm sure that God leads people to those who are safe. And if we are willing to be in the Spirit and expressing His fruit, not the fruits of condemnation and legalism, but the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the other things that are part of that big eight or big nine that say this is how you know that God showed up. When those things are present in us and they're real, I think God nudges others to say, now is your chance. Now is your opportunity. This person will be safe for you. Go. And I think that's what God does. Yeah, totally agree with you, Ram. Take me on some more paths here. There's things that are going on in your heart and stories you want to tell. <laughs> I think I've already shared, you know, what was on my heart spontaneously. Yeah. Why I didn't plan, you know, sharing, but, you know, just naturally. About Ukraine, there is a context that would help to understand the current situation better. Please. There are two words that refer to the Ukrainians. Uh, actually, Ukraine or Ukrainians. Rus. Hmm. So-called Rus. Right. These are synonyms. Rus was the name for all kinds of Slavic tribes right. living on a huge territory, basically covering all the Eastern Europe. And a single linguistic tree. Yeah. They all speak a similar language. Yeah, yeah. And so they were called Rus. Rus, um, you know, uh, denoting these nations. And Ukraine was about the land where Rus People lived. So mm -hmm. that's the meaning of the word, the term Ukraine. Uh, it comes from Ukraina, uh, from the word Krai. Krai is land. Mm. And Rai 
is garden, right? Mm. And so that's the meaning of the word Ukraine, Ukraina, Krai. Garden of Eden. So that's the idea, right? So basically, that's the land of the Rus people, Rus mm. nation. So they are synonyms. And so Ukraine, Ukrainians, and Rus, of course, and Kiev uh, as the capital of modern Ukraine. Kiev was called the mother of all Rus cities. Mm. In modern literature, now they translate Russian cities. But Russia did not exist at that time. But Rus did. Uh, yeah. So okay. it was Rus. We have this soft consonant, Rus. <laughs> so that's important to understand that Kiev and Kievan Rus existed long before Russia was ever created. Mm -hmm. And that's the historical fact. It was very important. And so one of the leaders, his name was Yuri Dovoruki, means long hand, mm. was fighting for the throne, you know, to become, uh, you know, the prince of Kiev, the king of Kiev. And he failed. Uh, and so he ran away. What year was this? As far as I assume, 12th century, something like that. Okay, um, so well over a thousand years ago, about, or it's somewhere, maybe <laughs> yeah, close yeah, to yeah. a thousand years. Okay, so he yeah. runs away. What happens next? Here is the main idea. He ran away to the area of modern Moscow. Mm. So he killed owner of a rancho and take over of his property. Mm. And that was the beginning of Moscow. So Moscow was a conquered territory that was not Rus, but a Rus prince ran there to conquer it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So they were controlled by the Mongols, Mongolians. Mm, I see. And so in the second part of the 17th century, Peter, the Russian leader, Peter the Great, he proclaimed the birth of a new nation called Russia. Mm. It was the second part of 17th century. Okay. So what happened? Peter the Great, or however you call him, he stole the ancient name hmm. from the Ukrainians. I see. He stole Rus, and he wanted to make this newly formed state great, but they didn't have history. It was the history of blood and mud. Blood and, and so mud. it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It was too bad foundation to call yourself great. Hmm. So there had to be some propaganda. They had to be some new name, some new story, new nice story. And so they started calling themselves Russian, Russia, Russia. <laughs> Second part of 17th century. Today, Putin is claiming that the Ukrainian nation does not exist. Mm -hmm. We should understand this historical context because there was the name stolen <laughs> in the 17th century. Since then, those Russian leaders had been oppressing the Ukrainians and speaking that Ukrainians don't exist, they are not people, they are not nation, they are not the country, they don't deserve their own government and their own leadership, their own destiny and things like that. That had been going on for 400 years. Okay, Oles, what I'm hearing you say then basically is that the offense that the Ukrainian people feel is that the current Russian regime is treating Ukraine and its people as if they are squatters on Russian territory. Something like that, but it has its historical root. That story was stealing the name, yeah. and now you have to justify your crime. Mm. If Ukrainians don't exist, that's perfect. Yeah. But they do exist, and that is a problem. That's a permanent uh, <laughs> condemnation, yeah. you know, because they are, and Kiev, as it was called, the mother of all Rus mm -hmm. cities at the time, it was called the mother of all Rus cities 
when Moscow did not exist. Right. I understand now the idea of origins. Your territory in the myth of Russia and in your own foundation story is one of the Garden of Eden for the Rus people. From your place, your garden comes this thing, which is the greater Rus people. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to understand. Yeah. And so if the Americans want to understand Russia, Ukraine is the key to understanding Russia and East Europe and Slavic world and Slavic culture. Ukraine is the key. It sounds like it's similar to the way the uh, European countries still regard America as being the Johnny-come-lately-in-this-group-of-nations. <laughs> they think they own the world now. But they are really just kind of our cousins, our offspring, because we are the source of all those things. We are the old country. And so there's a cultural competition there in some ways between even those nations that ring the Atlantic Ocean. It's really a very different story from your example. I understand your example. It's logical, right? As far as the metaphor goes, I'm not saying it's directly comparable. Yeah, yeah. And also a few words about Ukraine. Christianity came here in early centuries and mm -hmm. it became strong in the 6th century and started to grow and grow and grow. And finally, at the end of the 9th century, Christianity was recognized as a national religion. Mm -hmm. And so Kiev became the center for spirituality and spiritual transformation, for education and all of that. So the tradition says that it was the same apostle Andrew. Mm -hmm. who traveled all the way to the north and reached out the hills of the Dnieper River. And mm -hmm. he prophesied that upon these hills, a great city will arise, and that city will be the city of many churches. Mm -hmm. We don't know if this was a historical fact, but we know that at least the tradition is saying so, that right. he prophesied that upon those hills of Dnieper River, the city of many churches will arrive. And so it happened like that. So Kiev rose, was founded, and then in the like 10th century, it became a center of Christianity. Of course, this in its Eastern Orthodox form, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, fascinated at the time. And Bram, you also noticed the symbolism of the ancient church buildings in the Eastern architecture style. Yes. Today we have gadgets, we have YouTube, we have yes. uh, TVs and all of that. But at that time, you had to visualize your ideas. Yes. And so when they painted, for example, the walls of the Orthodox churches, they were biblical stories. Yes, all icons and scenes from the Bible itself. Yeah, yeah. So when you walk and just look at the walls, you see the gospel. You know, all kinds of stories and all the, you know, the Apostle Peter or John or, and so forth so on. It was very important for that time. It was the really the modern stuff. Like today we have all of this uh, information technology. Mm -hmm. It was like that. For Orthodox people, for Orthodox Church, the form was as important as the essence, as yes. the content. And that's their peculiarity of the Orthodox Church. Of course, with the time, and something similar was happening to the Catholic Church, but in the 20th century, they realized that these evangelical and Protestant churches, very modern, contemporary, mm -hmm. and, you know, they're winning the game, so yeah. to speak, right? They're speaking the language modern people could understand. Yeah. And so there was a reformation of the Catholic Church, and they were able 
to change and to adjust and to give room for new forms of spirituality, including charismatic Catholic movements. Mm -hmm. And it was okay. And so I think it was a very wise thing to do. So here in Ukraine, we have the power of spiritual context in Ukraine, this freedom for the expression of all kinds of religious forms. So that includes, of course, the classical Orthodox faith. Again, I, I'm as a Ukrainian, I have a right to be critical about it. <laughs> yep. I think that most of people who claim to be Orthodox, most of them really don't understand what Christianity is. But still, they honor the culture, they honor the architecture and yep. you know, historical heritage. It's okay. Then we have the Catholics who are very progressive in Ukraine. They are pro-society. They are open to society. They cooperate. They have amazing educational institutions. And they have respect from the people because the Catholics responded to the revolution of dignity. They were with the people. They are offering things that are understandable for secular people. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, evangelicals and Protestants, this is something that Russian politicians, they underestimated. Mm, Yes. They cannot understand that Ukraine is not Russia. You cannot measure Ukraine with your Russian ideas. These are two separate worlds. And so we have this variety, we have room for variety of expression of faith. And this is the strong feature of Ukraine, the spiritual variety. So these are some, I think, interesting insights that yes. would help you, my friends from the United States, to understand better the context. Yeah, it seems to me that what you're talking about in the idea of religious tolerance is something that is, of course, in our Constitution. And for the past 250 or so years in America, we have looked to that document to say, we must, as a people, always guarantee religious tolerance. You, as a nation, are experiencing religious tolerance for the first time because you realize how integral it is to real freedom. It's become a growing awareness and experience for your people. It'll become more tradition. But it seems like in this modern era, we have the law to guarantee it. But we have very little tolerance in our country for expression and real religious freedom. There's so much animosity on our streets now, even between Christian denominations and between an idea of nationalism versus private piety and different takes on what the world situation really is. Different worldviews are emerging within the Christian churches and within the other religions that are part of our mix in America, that we're not being tolerant, even though our law says we are a tolerant country. And it seems like Ukraine has become much more tolerant and community-focused, and we are a people, and that's important. No matter what you believe, we're going to protect you. You are safe here. That may not be in your laws. So the spirit seems to be very much alive in that regard in your country when it's not in ours, and our laws seem to be much more secure compared to other countries like Ukraine. But it's always interesting to me how laws themselves only have power when the people believe them, when they take them to heart and live them out and are willing to defend them, even if it doesn't benefit you, because the law itself that we've passed, the constitutions we've passed, are important because they are for the people. I hope we never lose that completely in America, but it seems like we're really at a crossroads too, OS. I invite the people in Ukraine to keep praying for us that God would restore unity of essential things for the believers in America so that we do not destroy our own house. And because of that, we could be a safe place for the rest of the world to come to, like your church and your believers in Ukraine have become for your people. Before I I get any further in this conversation, I just want to ask you, where is the church right now and what are they thinking? How are they talking about the current threats 
to the sovereignty of your nation? Let me tell you one of the recent events that took place last year in June uh, 2021. Representatives of all Christian denominations gathered together in the sports palace mm. in the capital of Ukraine. Yes. And a few thousand people, it was the, still the pandemic, you had to keep rules, keep distance, mm -hmm. all of that. But still, it was okay to do that. Around 3,000 people gathered to pray for mm. Ukraine. And it was yes. officially, it was called a prayer for Ukraine. And it was amazing. I was, I was one of the just volunteers, like many others, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to help around whatever had to be taken care of. And I was amazed. It was just an amazing moment. I hadn't heard of any other country in the world that would give room for all kinds of denominations and mm. churches to pray in the pandemic time. Right. It was so important. I sense the opposite. It, it seemed to me that it was just the opposite, that countries were closing and no, you cannot gather, you cannot pray, you cannot do anything, just shut out, <laughs> shut down or close the doors and just don't move, yeah. <laughs> something like that. And so in Ukraine, it was that that was happening. So that's another thing. Suddenly, I received an email from my European friends, and they told me that they were disturbed, concerned, concerned. And I said, okay, why? <laughs> Such a glorious moment, you know, people are praying. They said, we heard that there are radical elements in your evangelical circles. Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? You know, there are some nationalists in your evangelical Ukrainian. What are you talking about? And so I was so surprised by how brainwashed some European or maybe even American evangelistic people with these terms, nationalism, it's demonic, things like that. They have no idea what it is. They talk about nationalism. What is it? When you mentioned nationalism, what do you mean? That's a good question, Alice. I'm sorry we didn't explore that a little bit. I would say that right now what's happening specifically in America is that there's a very strong push towards national power from the church, that the church itself needs to be in power, running the ah, country. Okay. And yeah, so yeah. there's a, a leaning in towards, no matter what the populace might vote for or say, that they really don't know any better, the church knows better. And what it basically amounts to is kind of a civil theocracy. That's the battle we're having within our own bodies right now. Should we set aside our democratic principles and institutions and go with those who demand power and seize it, or should we draw back and be willing to yield power back to a civil but secular nation in order that the church can flourish? That's the big argument that's happening within Christendom of America. So that's what I would say is what we refer to as nationalism or Christian nationalism right now in our country. Not the idea of defending the territorial integrity of your nation and loving your country. Yeah, yeah. It is absolutely essential, I think, anybody who loves their nation to be appropriately patriotic, but still under the cross of Christ and serving him and his kingdom. And because of that, to love their nation and be willing to die for it if necessary. But it's not a militaristic religion that you and I are part of. We are there to serve Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, you see, uh, I really like when we uncover some terms yeah. that could be perceived differently yes. in different cultures and contexts. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. For example, in the Western world, this term nationalism has a very negative connotation because of Hitler, because yes. of Holocaust. Same so reason for us. Was, 
Yeah, we have another word, chauvinism, when yeah. you think your nation is higher than others, yes. oppressing. So it, it's demonic, it's bad. And so in the United States, in Europe, this term nationalism became a very negative term. In Ukraine, for example, when there were attempts of the Soviet regime, for example, Today, it's the Russian attempt to say that you don't exist. This yes. nation does not exist. For us, you know, it's unjust. Yes. Uh, no, our nation exists. And so it's not in all ways positive, but it's a different story for Ukrainians. You know, they stand for their nation because they're under threat. Uh, their existence, their life is under question. Yes. So we should understand those things. And so when some Ukrainians, they are saying things in that context, when you have, you know, uh, Russian tanks on your border and mm -hmm. any moment the Russian aviation will bomb your compartment building in the uh, large city and you have kids and wife, that's a, that's a different story. Yeah. But I, I totally agree. What I was surprised with my European friends, they were concerned that Christians are praying for their country. It was just mm. shocking to me. When Jesus told about loving your neighbor, yeah. what was he saying about? You do care for your neighbor, for your country, for your culture. You cannot be ignorant. You, you respect traditions, the, the people and how they live. There couldn't be a more important time to talk about the state of the church in Ukraine than right now. We'll be back with more from Olas Dmitrenko tomorrow as we continue this report from the front lines of faith in Ukraine. I hope you'll tune in then. Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.